Welcome to AACS Today, the official podcast of the American Association of Christian Schools. Thank you for joining us on this episode number 14 of AACS Today. I'm Matt Tiscus, Regional Director for the AACS, and I want to thank you for joining us. On today's podcast, I'm going to be joined by AACS Legislative Director Jameson Coppola, as well as AACS Legislative Assistant Hannah DeBruyler. Today's podcast has three issues that we're going to discuss. Issue number one is going to be an update on the CARES Act, including info on the plus up. And if you haven't heard that term, we're going to explain to you what that means. Issue number two is an update on what's happening with the Youth Legislative Training Conference. I'm sure you're familiar with this event, but Hannah's going to give us some more insight and details on what's happening with YLTC, as we refer to it. And I'm sure that will be helpful for you to learn about that. And then issue number three, what we're calling looking ahead, just kind of talking a little bit about the politics of DC. Don't forget though, that we're encouraging you to subscribe to our podcasts, especially on Apple podcasts or your podcast directory of choice. And if you're so inclined, we'd appreciate a review. You are now also able to listen to the podcast right from our website. We've embedded a player right into our podcast page at aacs.org slash COVID dash one nine slash podcasts. That's aacs.org slash COVID dash one nine slash podcasts. I'll be sure to include a link for that in the show notes. But without further delay, let's jump into today's content. First, let's welcome Jameson and Hannah to the podcast. Jameson, Hannah, thanks for joining us on episode number 14 of AACS Today. Well, thanks for having us. It's good to have Hannah with us this morning. I think for the first time uh, joining a podcast. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, guys, let's let's get right into issue number one that we uh, have identified for today, Jameson, and that's an update on the CARES Act and how it has plussed up. So tell us a little bit about what that means in DC lingo and what we need to know about the CARES Act. Yeah, well, the last time we were together, Matt, we talked about the plus up and uh, some of the political infighting that uh, had um, had kind of extended the time people anticipated it to be passed in. So that legislation did finally go through the House and the Senate. President signed it. It provides additional money specifically for the paycheck protection program. I was looking at some numbers uh, today as we prepared for the podcast, and the, the first round of funding uh, was spent up as 340 some odd, 350 million, billion, sorry, when you're in D.C., you, you can't talk in millions, that's pocket change. You got to talk in billions at least. So $350 billion. And I, I thought this was interesting. Uh, one of the, the categories um, of that, that they track for who benefited from it was education services, education services. There were 25,000 approved loans in the first go around, and there was over uh, $8 billion allocated, or about 2.36% of the total funding for education. And so it became obvious that there was going to be an additional need for people to borrow the money. Um, and so Congress did pass additional funding for that. That opened up on Monday. Um, there were some problems. The Small Business Administration was having trouble processing the number of loans. I think what happened is, is unlike the first round, people were ready to go for the second round. 
and it taxed the uh, the system there at the SBA for approvals. But I think that's running smoothly now. So, so if you've not yet participated, it's not too late um, to get with a lender. And there's resources on our webpage to to show you who the SBA, a link to show you who the SBA lenders are. I encourage you to go to your banks first and try to deal with your bankers to see if your school might um, be uh, eligible for that now that there's additional funding. And then the other thing that happened related to the CARES Act today is um, some of the provisions in the CARES Act, other than the Paycheck Protection Act, um, make it make funds available for education. And one of those uh, streams is through the Child Care Development Block Grant. And that's funding specifically to um, voucher and grant programs in the states. It's block granting to the states, but it's for the purpose of child care. And Department of Ed has been working on guidance and regulation for the CARES Act, and they, they did release uh, the Child Care Development Block Grant. So if our schools have child care centers and they participate in the CCDBG, Child Care Development Block Grant, they may want to contact uh, the agency within their state, Health and Human Services or Children and Families, whoever administers that program in their state, and see if their institution might be able to participate. And and that money, again, helps families with child care expenses. And so those are two of the biggest developments in uh, the CARES Act and how it affects our ministries. But we have Hannah on today, and Hannah is our legislative assistant. And she does uh, so much of the research and the uh, background um, investigation on a lot of these things. And one of her projects recently has been going through, and this this is a project. Now, fortunately, you know, the Lord has blessed Hannah with an interest in this, which I'm very grateful for. But she um, she's get, gets to read through the regulations and then look for how the regulations might need to be tailored to help protect our interest. And so she's doing that right now with the Paycheck Protection Program. The Small Business Administration released that. Um, the, the guidance came out early, but guidance is not regulations. And so now the regulations have been released. We're making sure the regulation lines up with the guidance. And if there's any feedback that needs to be given, we're preparing public comments for that. So I thought maybe, Hannah, you could uh, uh, share a little bit of that. And anything else that comes to mind for you when you uh, think about the CARES Act and how it impacts uh, our schools? Yeah, absolutely. And I do enjoy getting into the nitty-gritty of regulations and bills. It's not quite like a Christmas gift, but I do enjoy it. And um, and there's a lot of details to get into. So uh, for the the public comments that we're, we're working on now with the Small Business Administration. As Jameson mentioned, they did release some guidance, which was um, some helpful clarifications to faith-based organizations, including churches and Christian schools, on what um, it means for them to take part in the PPP or the EIDL um, loan programs. So it did clarify some of the good protections that the administration and the SBA have included. They've included specific um, protections for autonomy and the religious character of these organizations. But there were a few things that the guidance left out that some groups are still wanting to see in the final regulations. So that's what we're trying to focus on in our comments, our fine-tuning 
um, some of the religious liberty protections so that it covers the most um, people possible. So one uh, one example of that is um, in the actual application forms for the PPP and the EIDL loans. Um, we've heard some feedback from other organizations and of churches and, and schools and other groups that have found that the actual application forms have some contradictory language that the guidance um, didn't include. So, for example, if you're applying for the EIDL loan, there's language in there that says that that loan can only be used for organizations that provide secular social services to the general public. And we found that that contradicted the assurance in the SBA guidance that faith-based organizations can participate regardless of whether they provide secular social services. So that's one example of, of a discrepancy. Um, these programs have been rolled out really quickly, and so it's um, understandable that not all of the applications have the same uh, phrases and exact same language in them, but we're trying to iron those things out and make sure that whenever, whenever a Christian school or church is applying, that they're seeing right there on the application that their religious liberties are protected. So that's one example. Um, another one is we're trying to shore up the religious freedom protections in the SBA's non-discrimination requirements. And um, this became apparent when the SBA clarified that uh, borrow borrowers through the PPP and the EIDL would be considered recipients of federal financial assistance. And um, we as Christian schools and churches understand that to mean that there can be some federal strings attached to the money that goes out. Um, so specifically, the SBA said that a recipient can't discriminate on certain um, bases such as race, color, religion, sex, handicap, age, national origin. Um, but they only applied that to organizations with regards to goods, services, or accommodations that they uh, have to the public. It doesn't apply to things within the organization. Um, they actually have stronger protections for organizations that only focus their services on members of that specific religious community. So we're trying to broaden that protection so that um, churches and organizations that see their um, role through their faith as reaching outsiders, people in the community that aren't Christian, um, that aren't familiar with the gospel, with important services. We're trying to provide protections for those groups as well. Yeah, and it's so good that we have a team of folks looking into these details. And I think, Hannah, you said kind of getting into the nitty-gritty, getting into the weeds. I think it's important and it underscores the importance of the work that you all are doing because sitting in, in my chair, uh, I don't think I would be looking at some of those specific pieces of the legislation and the regulations that are coming out. So it's really important. Yeah, the other thing that was a big question and we had a mixed uh, feedback on was whether or not housing allowance, you know, many of our ministries benefit from the tax implications of paying a housing allowance instead of, uh, or, 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 or it, it's a technical thing, but, but you can designate a portion of your salary as housing allowance and it receives a, a tax benefit that is helpful to our, our ministries and to our, our, our ministers. And some banks were not allowing that to be calculated for the purposes of the loan. Uh, SBA clarified that and added specifically a frequently asked question answer that clarifies that housing allowance is allowed to be used. I thought I'd do this too, Matt, you know, just remind our people that 
the Paycheck Protection Program uh, provides funds for, for ministry specifically to keep people employed. And I heard Senator Rubio last week talking about why that path was chosen. I thought his reasoning was really solid. You know, this was designed to, like we've said before, put into practice uh, really um, a philosophical application of eminent domain. The government has asked people not to go to work, so they've taken from them a valuable property. And my most valuable property is being able to work, be able to provide for my material needs. And when the government takes something in a Republican form of government, we understand that um, when government takes something, it's obligated to pay for it. And that's really what the Paycheck Protection Program was designed to do. It was designed to help keep uh, businesses in business so that they could provide jobs into the future, but also to get people a paycheck. And so eight weeks of payroll costs, including benefits, and again, 25% of the, the loan amount can be used for mortgages, rent, and utilities, but we've advised our people to use it for payroll and not those other things. And then these are the really important top-line messages for it. It can be fully forgiven. When you use the funds according to the provisions to keep people employed, um, those, those, that loan can be forgiven. Um, payments will be deferred for six months. There's no collateral or personal guarantees. And nobody is going to be charged um, any fees to use this, this program. The banks are actually making origination fees and interest on these loans. And so that's a really important thing that can be fully forgiven. But you have to keep people on the payroll, your employees on the payroll. The purpose is to keep people employed and then to rehire quickly. So if you bring people back, if you keep people on payroll, it makes you eligible. And the other big thing that's come to light lately is there has to be a legitimate need. As you look ahead, you have to be able to say, I'm unsure of what the future will hold about my ability to stay in business. And I think in the uncertain environment and with the very, um, very tight budgets that our ministries experience, I think um, each ministry would have to look at that and say, is this legitimate or not for us to be able to continue operations? And I think the answer to many of our businesses would be yes, but you need to be uh, clear about that. Some businesses have gotten in trouble. In fact, the president has said they're going to carefully scrutinize any loan. I think it was over a million dollars, if I recall, uh, to make sure that uh, the statement that this is necessary for our continued operation when you sign to use these funds is, is a legitimate concern. And then uh, all small businesses are eligible. If you have less than 500 employees, which I'm certain all of our ministries would fall into that category, including nonprofits, um, are eligible for it. And then uh, for application, again, we're, we encourage people to apply early. Um, we, that same advice applies now that uh, the Plus Up program has been funded. And then there's numerous links. If, if, if you want... The one go-to link, it's sba.gov, um, where you can get the forms and provisions, the frequently asked questions. So if you've not yet participated, but you think that that would be a help to keeping people employed, um, that would be something for your ministry to look into. So I think this is good news, especially some of the clarification on the regulations, the inclusion of the housing allowance. 
Uh, we've got some good news coming out of these programs. So that gives you a little bit uh, of an update on kind of what's happening with the CARES Act. And that's issue number one that we wanted to discuss on the podcast. But let's go to issue number two now, which has to do with an update on our Youth Legislative Training Conference. We call that or reference that as YLTC. And we're looking ahead and we're making plans for this event that's scheduled for uh, July uh, this summer. And I'm actually looking forward to being with our team in D.C. I'll be serving as one of the chaperones. In fact, believe it or not, team, and I've shared shared this with you before, but I am an alum of YLTC from 2001. So this is such an important program that we provide for students uh, who are leaders, who are interested in politics and the political process. So Hannah, give us uh, give us a little bit of an update on YLTC because this is an important program that we're offering to our students and we want to make sure our schools know what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I was never fortunate enough to attend YLTC as a student, but this is my fourth year working on the program and I love it and um, I'm excited to get into it again this year. So as part of our YLTC preparations, um, scheduling briefing rooms so that senators and representatives can come talk to our students. Um, we usually have a handful who come and spend some of their time with us. They present on issues um, important to Christian education and leadership to our kids, and then they have the ability to ask questions to their elected officials. So it's really a special time. Um, that's one thing that we do pretty far in advance. Another thing we do is we uh, plan some tours. We like to make sure that um, our students can get out and apply the things that we're trying to share with them and teach them through the lectures and the briefings and the mock Senate work that they get to do. They can go out into the city and um, try to make those connections between what they're learning and what um, they hope to do in the future. So we're planning some tours. And uh, one of the first things that I do when I start to plan while to see it really gets me into gear for the year is I go and I reserve our um, wreath laying ceremony at the tomb of the unknown soldier in Arlington National Cemetery. And that is actually one of the highest um, honors that we give some of our students. It's a, a award that we give to our top performing uh, young men and young women who are there for the conference. And it's a really special ceremony. Um, they get to participate in that. They dress up for it. It's something that we look forward to all week. So um, that is rolling and our other plans are getting made. So we're excited. It's such a good event. One of one of my really great memories, I was actually doing some quarantining cleaning here recently and going through some some old containers that I have. And I pulled out a copy of the Declaration of Independence and Constitution. It was just a pocket sized copy that former Congressman Bob Schaefer gave to me when I was um, attending YLTC. And he wrote a little note in there that said, thanks for teaching me everything I knew or learned about the constitution, which I taught him nothing. So I'm not really sure why he put that in there, but it made me feel good about myself at the time, but it's just opportunities like that to rub shoulders with people who are, who are influencing the culture, making laws. Uh, what an opportunity for our students and to get to experience uh, Arlington national cemetery and, and just get to uh, be in a place where important things are happening, uh, such a such a key thing for our students. Is it, is it not, Jameson? It's- we do a lot of important things in our office, but I, you know, I would I might struggle if you asked me to name the most important thing because YLTC would be up close to the top of the list. 
And I'm just telling you, the results are pretty amazing. Hannah didn't mention this, but she's working right now with one of our former interns that interned with us to to get a, a meeting room so that the congressmen and senators can come brief our kids. Um, we just sent a letter for uh, proofing today, uh, soliciting people to join us through fundraising, through through contributing money. And we put in there a testimony of a, a young man that now is working on values issues, social conservative values issues for um, Congressman Lamborn out of, out of Colorado. Um, he's had some ability to have a huge impact even in this recent round of uh, coronavirus funding bills. And uh, the daily, weekly at least, and sometimes daily, we're in contact with kids on the Hill that are um, doing the work that YLTC cast the vision for them to do. And it's it's a beautiful thing. It's a hopeful thing. It's an enjoyable thing to be part of. So I, I can't say enough about how important YLTC is. And I, I would make this pitch, this bid. We, we just finished a Facebook fundraising uh, push for individual donors. Uh, Maureen uh, Vandenberg, our policy analyst in the office, I think she's been on a few podcasts uh, here lately. But she, one of the things she oversees is donor development for our organization and for YLTC. And um, she just finished a, a letter highlighting some of those stories. Um, uh, and it's going to go out asking people to to contribute. She just completed a, a Facebook fundraising page. And it was funny, early on in the day, I think it was Monday, she said, yeah, we're only about halfway there. If we could push this out again to our networks. She said, I, I think it will take a miracle, but but maybe we can, you know, it take a miracle for us to hit our goal and then, uh, late that night, Monday evenings into Tuesday morning, she sent a, an email out and said, it's amazing. We met our goal. So people believe in this program and small donors, former um, young people that aren't making a whole lot of money are giving back to the YLTC program. I think that's such an amazing thing. And it is because this program is really important and really influential in the lives of kids. And the last thing I'll say is we are pushing ahead. We, we, have been doing our due diligence to make sure that we can operate the program safely and responsibly. We've been in contact with our partners in the program, and um, and but we are planning to move ahead with YLTC and to serve uh, the students this summer as we have in the last uh, 25 or 26 summers in order to get cast a vision again in our young people to see if God might lead them into public service. I think we've used every adjective we could use to describe it, but I can't recommend it enough to you. In case our listeners don't know, uh, students get to attend the program free of charge because of the generous donations uh, that folks around the country uh, provide. They do have to they do have to provide their own means of travel, so they do pay for that portion of it. But while they're there, all the activities, the lodging, and the meals are all covered as part of the program. And so, again, just an incredible opportunity. It's something that I support personally. Uh, and give to, and if uh, our listeners are able to support that, I know it would be a worthy cause, although I know uh, this is a, a challenging financial time for many of us. Let's go now to issue number three, and we're just calling this this part of the podcast Looking Ahead at the Politics of D.C. So you might have noticed recently that uh, there's a little bit of change in the daily briefings. It's more now of a, of a looking ahead uh, in the briefings. So. Uh, Jameson, a lot of people are talking about a, a new normal, 
What does that mean? We're seeing changes in the briefings. What are we looking ahead to as it relates to the politics in D.C.? Yeah, I shudder a little bit when I hear the word new normal because, you know, the American normal before this was was pretty solid. I, I, I liked it. <laughs> so, yes, sir. It's a good so, thing. <laughs> so it's good to be an American. I, I'm a little hesitant by what some people may mean the new normal is. I think you've seen efforts on the administration and the daily briefings lately, especially to kind of shift out of the uh, the emergency mode into the uh, let's return to normal mode. Um, but again, politics has invaded even that. It's hard to um, it's hard to see a way forward to a new normal with the current political environment. Mm. Uh, but you do see, I think, the, the president trying to now look ahead. I, I heard this morning from um, our friends in the White House that um, May 1st, that, which is this Friday, is the, the hopeful date when phase one, there's a three-phased rollout. And I've heard people dis- dispute whether it's good to have the phases or not. I think the reality of the climate around this crisis makes some sort of phased return to normalcy necessary, whether that's the reality or not, that is the reality of how people see it. And so there's a phased uh, plan that the administration has shared. And by uh, May 1st, the um, president hopes that phase one can be accomplished in all of the states. Now, one one of the things that I want to point out about the approach is you know, it's interesting to me that in January, we had a significant portion of our country claiming that Trump was a totalitarian, authoritarian dictator. And in fact, you know, some of the basis for his impeachment was the fact that he was acting in an authoritarian way. And just two months later, that same part of the population was demanding that Trump act like an authoritarian dictator. It's wild, isn't it? Shut down the, you know, you're solely responsible for this because you didn't do enough authoritarian things to stop it. Um, But he really has tried to handle this, I think, through federalism, the principles of federalism, which is the federal government can only do a certain number of things and definitely limited by the Constitution. And our founders called the states the laboratories of democracy. They said, hey, listen, let these smaller units of government that are closer to the people and therefore hopefully more subject to the will of the people, uh, let them make some of these decisions on what democracy in America, Republican, a democratic Republican form of government looks like. And I think Trump overall in, in many of his administrative actions has tried to honor those principles of federalism. But the challenge, Jameson, right, is that the media is con- consistently focused on fear-mongering, and that's made it difficult. I, it, it, one of the tragedies that this hopefully has exposed so that it can be corrected. Listen, I want to trust media. I, I'm not anti-media. Uh, I'm, not an- I'm not even anti-New York Times. I, I want there to be reliable sources of information, people that have um, a worldview that values integrity and truth um, that will present things in the noblest way possible. Um, you know, some of what we've seen in the media, I think, is is just plain old uh, fear mongering. And maybe it's because they have a, an ideological or political agenda, but maybe it's just be- because they have stooped low enough to just try to sell uh, articles or to get clicks on the internet. Mm. 
but no matter the, the motivation, the result is we have a hard time trusting the information that's coming out of media. Right. And so, yes, I think that you have to be a discerning um, consumer of media. Fortunately, we live in a day of social media, which again is a double-edged sword, but there are more avenues to find information out. Uh, the hard part is it, then it becomes a competition for who you're going to trust instead right. of having sort of an institutional media that can be trusted generally. You now have to be, um, you have to comb <laughs> available sources right. and try to come to some idea of what the reality and the truth might be. So I, I appreciate the the federalism approach. I do think it's unfortunate um, that the media has really had an agenda it seems many times and again whether you support the agenda or don't support the agenda i think maybe we should all be able to agree that media having an agenda is not a good thing um and by the way one of those things was uh you know the experts the experts the experts and and that we we ought to listen to the experts in fact um this morning i tweeted out uh, we should listen to experts but we shouldn't bow to them as if their information is somehow infallible or superior to other bits of information. Um, you know, we, we ought to listen to what they say, value their, their expertise, their, their scientific um, outlook, but that's not a complete way to make decisions in circumstances like this. And, and I don't like the fact that, um, that that's kind of been the way that this has been set up because America has always been predicated on the free choice of individuals. I mean, that, that we've had faith in freedom. And one of the things that has been diminished in this crisis is we've lost some faith in the idea of freedom itself. It's almost as if we're afraid of freedom right now. And I don't think that's a healthy thing for um, the principles that we were predicated on. You know, God created all men equal which means that we have the equal right to decide uh, things related to our life, our liberty, and how we use our property to establish our material happiness in this world. I see people on Facebook, Jameson. I really do see people begging the government to lock us down more. Yeah. Yeah, and I think some of that is driven by fear. And, uh, you know, I would hope that they would rise above the fear. One, One of the... One of the virtues we used to always teach was courage, the, the a willingness to take a risk to do the right thing. And a free people has, have got to be a courageous people. And so looking ahead, I hope, you know, to, to borrow um, a couple of phrases from our founding. By the way, if you're not reading the founders, I mean, lockdown quarantine is a great time to be doing that, to <laughs> remind, remind yourself of the heritage we have from these brilliant men. Like you, you read them and it's almost like prophecy. When you look at they, what they say could happen if you don't follow the principles that they've tried to line out in the founding. But to borrow a few phrases from our founders, you know, give me liberty and a new birth of freedom. If that's the new normal, I'd be happy. Liberty, freedom, and a, a new birth of freedom um, as a result of this. Yeah, no, that, that, is, that is so true because it's just it, – I'm not underplaying um, this coronavirus by, by saying what I said just a second ago. I, I, it, it's a serious thing, so I'm not trying to undermine that in any way. But I think we do have to have a balanced approach, and that's, that's just, I think, what you're, 
you're saying and, and providing uh, for that. Um, well, if you look at it, th- there's two sides to it being serious. You have to say serious in what way, serious to who, um, serious for how long, um, serious in comparison to what. You know, but those sometimes those questions are not being answered. There's only one kind of drumbeat out of major media and many of our leaders, and that is this is so serious, everyone should stop expecting us to do anything except lock you down. Yeah. That's not healthy. We, we should be able to ask, um, well, what do you mean by serious as it relates to these other things? And if there's only one side of that serious message being communicated – then it's out of balance. It's out of proportion. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of lockdown, looks like the House is not going to be back <laughs> in Washington, but the Senate will be back in next week uh, from yeah. what we're hearing. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. It's one of the few times we can say to the Senate, uh, good job. You're working harder than the House. <laughs> <laughs> I love when the Senate says they'll open with morning business and it's like 2 p.m. on a Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so for the week, we're going to start doing our our morning business at 2 p.m. on Wednesday. Um, the Senate gets a lot of uh, um, uh, flack for not working very hard, and maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Maybe uh, what goes on off the floor of the Senate and behind the scenes is work too. But are we expect they, are we expecting any future funding bills or other other bailout yeah, bills? Yeah. Well, th- this is the important thing I think about the House is. Right now, it looks like, again, the coronavirus is being used as a pretext to push forward some pretty dangerous things, like um, the the party in power right now is, is saying it's so dangerous we can't vote on the floor, so congressmen should be able to carry votes for other congress. They're talking about uh, there's a plan being floated now where congressmen could carry votes for up to five other congressmen or women, and uh, nobody knows how that would work like, and how that game would be played. Um, you know, it's funny, they say one vote for one person when it comes to uh, elections, but apparently it's one vote, uh, six votes for one person in the House. Mm. And uh, I, I don't think the founders would, and I think, I don't think our doc, founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, support this idea that our representatives could vote essentially six times in the name of other people and potentially not even have those names recorded who they were proxy voting for on the record. Mm. Imagine all sorts of malfeasance, especially in an election year that might come in that. And uh, and so, yeah, the, the, the big issues I think will be funding, whether or not the states will be bailed out for what's happened in coronavirus, um, what that funding will look like. I've seen a lot of talk about um, two things specifically that are concerning. More control. You know, when you hear our leadership praising China's authoritarian response to the disease – and saying if we had been more like China, things would have been better. That worries me. When they start talking about coronavirus is so dangerous, we have to federalize elections. That really concerns me because it Mm -hmm. usually means a lowering of protections to make sure only citizens are voting. Uh, It usually means a lowering of the checks and balances to make sure that um, states control elections and elections haven't become federalized. And, uh, all sorts of malfeasance can come from that. And then uh, the last part of that is, you know, so some people are already making climate and, you know, the new normal needs to be uh, sustainable energy and 
you know, this shutdown has been good for the environment. We need to keep it. (laughs) You know, so um, I'm sure it's going to be a busy summer. Um, I don't know how radical the proposed legislation will get because it is an election year, but you can expect to see uh, some different agendas being um, promoted through the idea that it has to be this in order to respond to this coronavirus crisis. Yeah, and Hannah, we've seen... Um, our Attorney General Barr share some information about uh, possibly some some overbearing infringement. What have you uh, heard or seen related to that recently? Yeah, I mean, as we're talking about renewing our faith and freedom and returning to our our constitutional principles, um, we got some good news out of the Attorney General's office a couple of days ago, where he uh, sent out a memo saying that the Constitution is not suspended in times of crisis. I think that was a good reminder, but he also was indicating that the Department of Justice is going to start taking some actual concrete actions against um, some states and localities that are um, exercising overbearing infringement of people's constitutional rights. So they're going to start looking into some of these cases where um, states are keeping uh, lockdowns too long, too severely, um, and they're hopefully going to start looking into that and taking some action against it. Yeah, it was good to see here in my home state in Texas where our governor uh, has labeled uh, church services and houses of worship as essential services, right? That's recognizing that, yes, the, the, the services that ministries provide for the people, although be it spiritual, is essential uh, to the operation of our country and necessary. So that's, yeah, I uh, think when the, when the government starts even deciding what is essential and what is not, that's a dangerous line to cross. People, that's a great point. People will say that was necessary in this. And, and again, in times of crisis, we do allow a little more liberty of government to make these decisions. But if you are going to make that decision in government, realize this. If you keep a grocery store open so that people can feed their bodies, but you close a church so people's souls cannot be fed, you have a certain worldview. And uh, I'd like to point out to our people that, and to anybody, that man shall not live by bread alone. It is a completely materialistic um, worldview that says that a grocery store is absolutely essential to life, but church is not because it neglects the inner life, the eternal part of who we are. So Hannah, I'm really appreciating her bringing up the Attorney General's uh, recent statements. I think they're important. I do hope he'll act on these things and other things that um, he makes public statements about very strongly, really appreciate it, but would certainly like to see the Justice Department clean up some of these constitutional violations. That's good. Well, I think that's going to bring this episode to a close. I want to thank Jameson Coppola and Hannah DeBruler for joining us on episode number 14. I want to thank our listeners for uh, spending some time Uh, tackling these uh, three issues for today. I think they're important. I think they're good to look at. And so I hope uh, the information on the CARES Act, on YLTC, and on some upcoming things politically uh, was helpful to you as you listen to this today. Uh, Don't forget, make sure that you are subscribing uh, to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or your directory of choice. And we look forward to having you join us again on the next episode of AACS today. And, and follow us on Twitter. Hey, don't forget at yeah. AACS underscore underscore DC. DC. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. Then I, 
I've taken to tweeting as well a little bit more and at Jamison Coppola. So those two uh, accounts, if you're interested in hearing more of our perspective on things. So check us out there as well. Have a great day, everyone. God bless.